a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. <laughs> he said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism, Pastor Fleming. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre, mediocre and hilarious. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, where we have not only a terrible radio voice, but also terrible faces for you to look at. Indeed. Episode Indeed. nine, by the way. Episode nine. Okay. Uh, so. There you go. Uh, now, the the listener doesn't see the, the the cue cards. By the way, just just letting you know. Not that we're they all need about to. the we're all we're all about the YouTubes now. All about the visuals, obviously. Yeah, we're gonna object lessons for today. I guess <laughs> we could always. There you go. Uh, we could always play charades. That 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 could be a new table talk radio game. <laughs> You know, I had a charades element in my catechism board game that I invented so many years ago. I remember but, that. Yeah. How, how's that going, by the way? It's fine. It's <laughs> hanging around here somewhere. What a tragedy. The catechism board game. I, maybe we could do a Table Talk Radio Kickstarter and get that thing kickstarted back up. You know, okay, I, we're doing buzzwords. Real quick, I, rem- I remember there, there was a website that has like the graveyard of Google ideas, and you yeah. can see all the, you know, platforms that Google had canned over the years. I would yeah. love to see the Wolfmuller Idea graveyard. That would be that would be fun to look at. I'm still trying to put Table Talk Radio in that glorious yeah. day when Table Talk will be in the graveyard. That's soon enough. <laughs> this is like the zombie project. It just won't die. Anyway, All right, we'll get give there us, one day. Give us what we're doing uh, today. B- buzzwords, uh, kick the dog and sold the child about, and, and maybe Ten Commandments in the news with something in Kentucky. L- B-G-T-Q-A-I plus? Elemental P. I got that wrong. How come there's no question mark in that? Plus, exclamation point. I want to be the exclamation <laughs> Okay. And then also Miss Mythbusters about my old Catholic dialogue. Old oh, by like nice. one week ago. All right. Uh, okay, buzzwords. I'm going to get from the uh, doctrinal theology of the Evangelical Lutheran Church again. So pick a number between 1 and 700. Uh, 352. Is that what you picked last time? I think so. Huh. Um, I don't ha- Oh, let's see how to say this word. Habitulia. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, why don't but, you tell uh, okay. them what it means? I mean, I, I know, but for their what sake. What in the world is this talking about? <laughs> okay, this is a comparison of the Lutheran and Reformed views regarding the person of Christ. And it says... By means of the hypostatic union, there has been imparted to the human nature of Christ the very highest gift of acquired condition, habitulia. For example, the greatest power, the highest wisdom, although finite. But that, eight, to the mediatorial acts of Christ, each nature contributed to its own part. 
who man that you put us in the middle of a very long and complex sentence okay so i don't even know this is pretty bad well how am i supposed to use it if it's your buzzword and i (laughs) I don't even know what it is plus i'm not sure if this is saying what the reforms say and therefore we disagree or what we say and the reform disagree i don't have enough context do you want me to give you another number all right how about 93 you think it's easier at the beginning yeah, I'm hoping. It can't be much worse. <laughs> okay, have it. Okay, let's see. Uh, this is the piety. Ooh, look at the headline of this page. Is that what you call it? The headline? It says, "Piety essential to an interpreter of Scripture." Hmm. Wow. Um, let's see. Well, let me find a buzzword on this page. Um, how about this? The Wittenberg opinion. Okay. Here's the Wittenberg opinion. Um, If the reply means to infer that no unconverted person can understand the proper sense in which is contained in the words of the Scripture and expressed by them, in other words, the grammatical and literal sense, unless the Holy Spirit assists with his gracious illumination, then we cannot agree with the reply, but abide by our own opinion. For the words and whatever serves to interpret them, visibly the lexicons, dictionaries, and grammars of the Latin, Greek, and Hebrew languages are human inventions and belong to the gifts of nature, and not to the gracious gifts of the Holy Spirit. For he was not appointed, nor was he poured out, that he might treat of grammatical rules, and teach Hebrews to hunt up roots, but that he should teach us the articles of faith through the Scriptures, and instruct us in the truth that make us wise unto salvation. Many a one properly understands the words without possessing that saving knowledge of the mysteries which belong to the faith. Ha! That's actually good. The Wittenberg opinion is what that is. All right. Now, here's the idea, and that is the question of, in what way are the scriptures clear and understandable? And in one way, we say that the words are understandable by human reason. Any person, any unbeliever, can understand what's being asserted in the scriptures. And yet, on the other hand, we say that to believe them as true requires the work of the Holy Spirit. So that the Holy Spirit is required not necessarily to understand the meaning of the words, but to understand the truth of the Scripture and to have saving faith, that requires the Holy Spirit. So Luther famously said, a Muslim could understand that the body of Christ, that Jesus says that his body is in the Lord's Supper, this is my body, but only by the Holy Spirit do we truly believe those words to be true. See, that's weird, because I always called that the Rogue River opinion. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> okay, we'll call it the Wittenberg opinion for, for today's sake. All right. <laughs> All right, my buzzword for you is eschatology. I love this book. Oh, eschatology. Okay. So this is the study of end times. Now, I'm willing to bet, Pastor, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll okay. bet you that you have been hearing from people more than uh, you have in previous years recently uh, asking or maybe even asserting we must be nearing the end. True? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, everything going on, we think, well, psh, must be that Christ is coming back. There's, there's this connection in our minds that... Uh, the wheels falling off the wagon equates to the return of Christ. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we see in the scriptures that uh, things are sound really bad in, in Revelation, and so that must you know, mean that Christ is coming back. We should remember, though, I mean, that's not a bad intuition, but we should remember that when Revelation is painting that picture for us, it's painting a picture of this world in general, <laughs> that this world in general is— uh, is not a good place to be, particularly if you're a believer. Now, I think mm-hmm. we feel it more now than we have in years past because 
we have had this wonderful blessing of living in a country and a cultural context that that protected uh, religious liberties, and so we have the freedom of worship and the freedom to believe what we want. And so, really, you know, to maybe some minor exceptions, we we really haven't you know suffered for what we believe in this country. Um, but you know, maybe that's changing. But we should remember, you know, every time you know I hear that, oh, Christ must be returning because look how bad things are are getting. I just think, what would it have been like to be living? Uh, in Jerusalem around 70 AD, <laughs> you know, like, boy, uh, there's yeah, no, there's August no way 9th, the Lord's going to tarry another year or two. <laughs> you know? So who knows? It is, is the good point. for us to remember to put our, to put our troubles in the context of the history of the world. And there's been some pretty bleak moments. Yeah, I mean, not right. that it's, things are not bleak, but, but that, Jesus says there's be wars and rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation. They'll bring you the thing. And then Jesus says the end is not yet. Yeah. In other words, this kind of chaos is just how it is mm-hmm. in this fallen world, according to the Lord's will. Yeah. And yet Christ can return at any uh, moment. I mean, there's there, there there's no to-do list remaining until Christ can come back. It's like, man, if they could just get those two boxes checked, then I'd right. come back. Uh, just but... find that golden heifer, or what, 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 red heifer. <laughs> just rebuild that that holy place in Jerusalem, and then, and then, and then. So, so if, but if the problem if, with those checklists is that it means that Jesus couldn't come back now, exactly. Right? And so, so yeah. this helps us to remember that the the thing that's with holding Jesus back from from returning is not the absence of the red heifer, but. It's his own compassion. It's his own mercy. Because the that moment he comes back, fine. those who are found without faith are lost and damned forever. Wow. So, so I, I always, always ask the people, and it's, it's a question that no one knows. But I always ask people here: Last Sunday, how many people worldwide do you think were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It's uh, a great point. And then, if Christ had returned last Saturday, those people would not have receive that gracious gift. Mm-hmm. So so every every day you're willing to endure the persecutions of this world is another day we're seeing um the Lord bring people into his kingdom. That's nice. Okay, so that, that is that's a really great point. Man, I love that point. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's the thing holding Jesus back is not the rebuilding of the temple, it's his mercy. God desires none to perish. He's not slow. Ah. Okay. And I think that gives us a context for our suffering, right? Yes, right. So suffer on, dear dear saints. Suffer on. <laughs> All right, so we're almost out of time on this first thing. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Speaking of suffering on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, give us a, a quick recap of what we have to look forward to as we uh, head out to the break. We're going to do 10 commandments in the news and kick the dog, console the child about the Kentucky stuff and transgenderism. Ooh. Ah. And then we're going to talk about um, Mythbusters. And this debate I had with a, a conversation I had with our Catholic uh, buddy over at Reason Theology and the idea of subse- initial and subsequent justification. Ah, very good. Okay, well, uh, that's on here coming up on Table Talk Radio. That, uh, I need to go get the dog then to start kicking something. Is that how yes, this works? Yes, indeed. Okay, yep. all right, I'll go find yep. I'll go I'll find, find a child to console. I'll go find uh, Mandy's dog. <laughs> What about Sage, the hippie dog? Oh, she's great. No, we would never kick her. Mandy might.
Table Talk Radio. Well, we think we're funny. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. The audience is wondering, why in the world are you guys talking about kicking dogs and comforting children? You'll need to explain, Pastor Wolfmiller. Um, Sounds like a fun thing to do. Oh. Luther's introduction to Galatians, where he's talking about how do you deal with, how do you deal with false teaching? Remember that? Mm-hmm. And he says, you've got to make a distinction between the false teacher and the falsely taught. Because one deserves a bit of gruffness and the other deserves a bit of kindness so when you see a dog biting a child you act differently to the dog than the child you kick the dog and you console the child so that's the picture so when we're dealing with false teaching we have to determine are we dealing with a dog or with a child are we dealing with a false teacher who's perpetrating the problem or are we dealing with a child who's suffering from the problem and this distinction goes deep and maybe just a word on that because because it's tough. Because one of the things that makes good talk radio, hmm. I suspect. <laughs> We've heard. I don't actually know. Yeah, we, there's rumors, and we don't actually. Is kicking the dog. In other words, kicking the dog is what makes in, engaging listening. Consoling the child is maybe not so popular. And so one of the, one well, of the temptations and, of And probably what something we're that doing, would happen best in private, too. I mean, right, right. we wouldn't... We wouldn't uh, you know, bring someone's struggles on live radio or tell us what else you're struggling with that's right and and so the public conversation mostly has to do with dog kicking you know but there's a there's another private conversation that has to do with consolation that's perhaps the most important and um and everything has these these two sort of conversations so for example the question of abortion just we just just to take that as a when we talk about that we want to talk about it culturally and politically we want to talk about it morally and ethically and we want to say look you can't kill the babies and we want to fight hard against those people who are trying to both legalize and normalize the act of abortion and yet on the other hand there's those people who have had abortions who are feeling the great burden uh, and guilt of it who have deep and profound regrets and what happens is they they see the kicking of the dog and they're like i better stay away from those dog kickers when if the dog kickers are kicking for their sake so so that they can console and comfort those who are mourning from their own own sins so that so that the the christian the christian church finds herself in the very difficult position of both inducing and covering shame in other words, the way the world wants to do is it wants to destroy shame, but it just can't. It wants to say there's nothing shameful. That's wrong. So the church, by the preaching of the law, is saying, no, there's a lot of things shameful. And then we want to say, when we realize our shame, that Jesus has covered our shame. So the church is both increasing and forgiving sin. So the preaching of the law increases sin and the burden of sin, and then it takes it away by the forgiveness. 
So there, in fact, with each person, there's a kicking and a consoling that's happening. And so with, for example, the LGBTQ stuff, the world wants to say that every sort of sexual expression is fine. There should be no sin and no shame attached to any human sexuality. And, and that's even not true, right? I mean, there, there, uh, there's always going to be something that the world considers immoral. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but because everything that used to be immoral is being kind of knocked off the list. But there's always going to be something, right? Well, usually it's, um, it's you know, speaking out against those whom we've deemed to be. It's almost it's almost as if the world has its own kick the dog comfort the child, so. Um, you know, they're they're consoling the the shame of sin, and if someone comes along and tries to say, "Hey, what you're doing is wrong," they want to kick that voice. In the, in this case, maybe the word of God. You know, let's kick that down, kick that dog. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, and we all have that instinct. So, like, okay, if I say I do something uh, offensive to you, and I come okay. and I apologize, okay, <laughs> and I say, I, Evan, I'm sorry. And you say, "Oh, don't worry about it." Or the you, the world you shouldn't feel bad about that. Yeah, you know you shouldn't. But no, it's okay to feel bad about things that are bad. But the the world t- tries to take away guilt and shame by saying you shouldn't feel guilty, you shouldn't be ashamed. That's who you are, or it's what you love, or whatever. So the Christian says, "No, no." Uh, in fact, so this happens with, like when I'm d- with families who are mourning, and they say, "I just pastor, I feel so guilty. I couldn't have been there more." And the world wants to say, oh, don't feel bad about it. You did everything you could. And there's some comfort in that, but it's a false comfort. Because I know I didn't do everything I could. I mean, I know I was playing golf instead of visiting my mom when she was sick. And now, oh, but that everybody does. You know, that's... Mm -hmm. No. What do we say? Pastor, I could have done more. And say, well, that's right. You could have. But that's why Jesus had to die, remember? Mm -hmm. And you know who's not mad at you? Jesus. And you know who's also not mad at you? your mom, who's with Jesus. That, so that but, the comfort comes not from taking away the cause of guilt, but but dumping it on Christ. Right. And, the, and this is, I mean, I think the great importance of, of churches to stand separate from the world, because that intuition creeps into the church so often, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Uh, pastors or other Christians are unwilling to call sin sin. Right. Um, in fact, I've I'm probably guilty of that as well. You know, when 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 you when when you're uh, trying to console someone, you, you you want them to feel better, and you know, you know, that's you have to feel bad about that. Um, but right, but right. the real the real comfort is in calling sin sin, so that there can be forgiveness. Right. Now there is false guilt, and to know the difference between true guilt and false guilt is also important. There mm-hmm. is false shame. And to know the difference between true shame and false shame. That, so we should know about that. So there is a scrupulosity which, which, which refuses to, well, just kind of the, the requirements that I put on myself or whatever are more than what God does. And, or mm-hmm. false. There's a false guilt here, whatever. Like, whatever. I mean, the easiest example is uh, carbon credits, you know. <laughs> like, when I go and buy an airplane ticket on kayak... It asks me if I want to offset my carbon credits for twenty bucks or whatever. Now that is a false guilt, <laughs> and or, it's a false atonement also. I or, mean, I'm not going to do it. Goodness sakes! I mean, to, to, to your example, um, you know, to think that 
there's an expectation that if your mom is sick, that you you uh, must uh, serve her and wait on her, you know, twenty four seven without any kind of a respite to to take a break for yourself. Or or sometimes you know moms will fall into this where they're just completely giving themselves to care for their children and never taking any kind of a break for themselves. Um, there's a sometimes a sense of guilt for not even you know recouping a little bit. Um, right. uh, and I, so, so the the point is, is that what's going to guide us in understanding that is the word of God, right? You know, if if, mm-hmm. if the word of God calls a sin a sin, then we have to match our confession with that, uh, and and not look to what the what the world says. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. that's kick the dog, comfort the child. But what what do you have before us to consider in this context? This is a so there's a class action lawsuit. Uh, let me just read this. I'm reading from Religion News Service. Um, Stefan, who's a ex-student at, or maybe a current student at Moody Bible Institute. Nope, nope, last year. So Moody Bible Institute, Stefan, and 32 other LGBTQ students or former students at federally funded Christian colleges and universities have now filed a class action lawsuit. Oh, I could be showing you guys this. Have now filed a class action lawsuit. Um, where was I? Mm-hmm. against the U.S. Department of Education. In it, they claim the department's religious exemption allows schools such as Moody Bible Institute that receive federal dollars to unconstitutionally discriminate against LGBTQ students. The suit, filed last week by nonprofit Religious Exemption and Accountability Project, draws a dire portrait of LGBTQ discrimination at 25 Christian colleges and universities, including Protestant, Latter-day Saint, and Seventh-day Adventist schools. In addition to harassment from fellow students and administrators, the LGBTQ students alleged they were forced to attend conversion therapy, hmm? prohibited from dating people of the same sex, hmm? disciplined for social media posts, denied on-campus housing, and, in one case, blocked access to affirming LGBTQ websites and resources on the campus internet. Hmm. So they're suing, but they're not. In, they're not suing the colleges. Interestingly enough, they're suing the federal government because these colleges receive federal money. So they're basically trying from, to cut off the the money supply. Conveniently, after they got degrees, I suppose. <laughs> You'll get no, their law knows? degree I mean, I don't and then file a lawsuit. <laughs> I don't know. So wait a minute. So it's like, why don't you guys teach me how to make a paddle? And then <laughs> but, but so we don't need to impute their motives. We could just deal with the the question here. So, um, uh, so anyway, anyhow, what? So what's your take on this? So we can do Ten Commandments in the news, and then maybe we can do. Um, kick, kick the dog, the dog and sold the show. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know it. That's an interesting dynamic. They're suing the government because it, it is pretty common for Christian universities and college to have some kind of a, a conduct expectation of their students and staff, particularly because they ascribe to a a doctrine, a, a theology, and as, as Christian universities, they have the right, as far as I'm concerned, to demand that expectation of their students. Um, so, so it, if there's a if there's a departure from that that expectation of living, you could just choose not to go to that college. You know, I mean, maybe go to a college that holds the same values that you do, 
and there's not like there's a shortage of ones to choose from if you know, you're in the camp of LGBTQ+. Um, anyway, we'll maybe say another word about that after this. Because some people have a high pain tolerance. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. I'm just not sure this story is that much about the Sixth Commandment. Uh, or the, I mean, it is in a sense, I mean, because we have a very broad brush when we name commandments, (laughs) but, but I think it has more to do with, uh, whether a, uh, a government entity ought to be using taxpayer dollars to go to a school that disagrees with, um, well, you use the phrase during the break, the pagan values. Uh, never mind the fact that pa- taxpayer dollars are being used to abort children in the womb or other things that would be contrary to other people's values. So you know, once once we started getting into this thing, like what should my tax dollars do? They should do everything I agree with. Now we have this public debate that should take place to say, well, uh, uh not everyone's going to agree with you, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you don't want your dollars going to Christian universities, and I don't want my dollars going to abort human life, <laughs> then I, I suppose we're going to have to debate this a little bit. I got. I want to read you some more here. Uh, this is kind of funny. So it says, uh, Jonathan Coley, a professor of sociology at Oklahoma State University, who has studied LGBTQ students, which I was funny thing to study, but said that about a third of Christian colleges and universities, typically in their student handbooks or honor codes, ban all homosexual behavior. Students caught dating someone of the same sex or advocating for same-sex relationships on social media can be expelled or forced into conversion therapy. You dun, know, dun, I, I went to one of these colleges, a, uh, a, a small Christian college that required a particular living standard, you know, yeah. I, for example, I mean, it was a uh, it was a school of uh, the free Methodists. So, you know, even though I had turned of legal age to uh, imbibe in adult beverages, I was not allowed to do so while being a student, not saying just I can't on campus, but while I was a student, I wasn't supposed to drink. That was just their code. Uh-huh. Didn't, really? Didn't really agree with that. <laughs> but but now, I, look at, I was willing I, to I submit was, to it. Oh, look. Look yeah. at this. A, yeah, yeah. A 2016 study found that 17% of LGBTQ students at Christian colleges reported a mental health reported a mental health professional. I think that should be two. A mental health professional. Wait. Let me start over. They reported a mental health professional had attempted to change their sexual orientation. Mm. So that's what they call conversion therapy. But I like this little line. This is generally not true of Catholic <laughs> and Methodist schools. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, well, but, the, the school I now, went to is a bit more of the slightly more conservative brand. Um, but but, but, but here's just, it's not it's it's weird that this is the thing. Like you like you yeah. pointed out, you can't drink booze. You probably I don't know. You can't smoke. You probably they also probably don't allow murdering. Or, even, or any other for, form of sexual immorality. Exactly. That was that was the point I was going to make. So you know, we were not allowed. I mean, 
there the, the, even heterosexual premarital relations were not uh, allowed. So, um, so yeah, it it seems to kind of cherry pick uh, certain behaviors um, that are are trying to portray this is an, a a discrimination a discrimination against this class of people, but really it's just a discrimination against an immoral behavior. <laughs> that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the clash here. That that's the clash of worldviews. You know, mm-hmm. just this goes to your conversation from the last segment about um, the world uh, calling shame to be nothing shameful. Uh, when you might list a, a number of things that are immoral, and you can't do. You can't steal. You can't kill. You can't. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, drink booze. You can't do all these things. But once it hits one thing that the world is deemed to be okay, not shameful, now we're going to play the discrimination card. Right. That's right. And it's and so it's an amazing because it's now it's it's the idea is that it, it's almost a class of person, you know, which is very very strange because there's a big difference between the. For example, the G and the T, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the G is uh, is sitting there saying, "I was born this way; it's who I am," and the T is saying, <laughs> "I was born the wrong way. <laughs> I got to change who I am." Or that is I interesting, isn't it? That 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 I mean, the the mantra to to make homosexuality acceptable is, "This is the way I was born." And there would seem to be then, well, who am I to question the way that you were born? And then, <laughs> and then being told with the whole gender thing is like, well, I shouldn't have to be constrained by the way that I was born. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a kind of a contradiction there a little bit. Yeah, it's one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> uh, but but there there is actually there's a I mean, if we can think about it spiritually, there is a connection. And that is that Gnosticism fights creation, mm-hmm. and so they they all they unite in what they are against, which is babies. created order. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so the, to, to be T means that you you're going to be if you go all the way with your T business, it means you're never going to be a mom or a dad, you know. And the same thing with the L and the G and the B. I don't know about the Qs or moms or dads. I'm not sure, but well, and then, and then I mean this goes to our the thing we talked about last week. I think it was last week. Did we read that story, that uh, opinion piece last week about the about the dad who is disappointed that his wife wanted to stay home with his kid? You know, yeah. like how dare you be a stay home mom? Um, and we talked about the the tragedy when we see children as something that is there to fulfill my life, as something that's there to. I mean, that we have a very self centered approach to children. To say, you know what would really make me happy and fulfill all my dreams and um, and accomplish all my desires is having a child. Because selfishness is the right reason to go into having children. But but I mean, I'm I'm kind of being sarcastic, but it, it it's really the way that we approach it. So now when you have these um, lifestyles that are are not in a setup that are good for children by any study research whatsoever, we think, well, how dare anyone deny me the joy of having a child? So now we're placing 
children in these tragic situations of of not getting a mom or a dad or having uh, you know two dads or two moms or I think I saw a story recently where there was um, uh, a uh, like a truple a, a, a homosexual truple so this child was going to have three dads <laughs> and no moms I mean it was just it, we're just insane and the ones that are suffering are the children who are who are growing up to have no stability whatsoever and we're going to wonder well, what does that society look like when all the mm-hmm. children who had no stable households are are 20 somethings and and setting out in policy making <laughs> just a thruple <laughs> oh, did you hear about now, that yeah, okay. the thruple thing here's the so okay so kick the dog console the child let's think about this because Someone has preached this, and that is that your life is about developing your own authentic self. Somewhere, that became preached. I've got this book. Where did that go? It's in my backpack. It just came yesterday. That I think talks about this, the rise of the modern self. And so we've been preached this by the prophets of our age, that that's what our life is about. Mm-hmm. And now, when we're dealing with all of these, even with the activists and with all these folks, what we're dealing with is people who have believed what was preached to them, that their life is about uh, the, their, their own exp- authentic expression of what brings them joy. And they're trying to do that, and they're, they are now standing up against anyone who would stand in the way of that. Now we, so the question is, are we dealing with the child or the dog? And I think that always our instinct wants to be that we have to deal with the person first as a child, as someone who has been affected by this false teaching. And so to recognize that all of these activists and whatever, the people who are standing up there and trying to change the culture to, to, to clear away all the obstacles to my authentic self-expression, they have believed the lie, this great lie of our own culture, that this is what life is about. And, and, and there should be some sympathy for them. Because what's the, so what, just imagine success, you know, imagine success. If this is what you think is that, that my life is about uh, my authentic self-expression and fully realizing who I am or whatever, and you get there, and that is not that great of a place to get. <laughs> I mean, first of all, you're still condemned in your sins, hmm. and you're still an enemy of God. And in fact, you st- once you get to that place of authentic self-realization, you stand all alone. You've cut yourself off from 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 family and from friends and from past and from and from the future. You've just you've made yourself into an into an isolated ball of self-realization, hmm. and it is it's tragic, really. That the that the that the end of the race, it is that success is failure, but still this modern preaching is believed, and and now we see people just chasing after, chasing after this delusion, which is, which is I mean it's dangerous, it's 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 tragic really. Mm. So we have to go to a break, but after the break, um, I want to ask you what consoling a child actually looks like. Yeah, because that'll we, be important. Because we can have sympathy for the situation that maybe someone has put themselves in. Um, And yet there still has to be this 
um, confronting of my own sin. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I can realize that I'm in this situation I'm in because of my own selfish desires. But that's, that is something different to ask, what does my sin do to my standing before God? So we'll talk about that right after this. Good. Don't you just hate it when your underwear bunches up and your socks get all droopy? This is Table Talk Radio. The Sunday Drive Home, grappling with the text on the Theo vlog. These are some of the playlists on the YouTube channel. Visit YouTube slash Wolfmuller1. Check it out there. So what do you do um, in, as far as comforting the child where someone has lived by this preaching that you mentioned uh, that, you know, this is about my own uh, expression of what makes me happy and uh, come to find out that has not um, worked out so well in the world of, <laughs> of reality. And now I find myself alone, apart from family, apart from friends. Um Pastorally, how do you how do you address a person in that situation? I'm looking for this. I I got a card that I wrote. Ah, here it is. I <laughs> found it. This is so one of the. Um, I'll show you this in a minute. One of the things that is so tricky is because the church is the one saying, "Hey, this is bad. This is sinful. This is dangerous." Um. So, so we're kicking the dog. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And so all the people who are out there, all the L's and G's and B's and T's, think that the church is an enemy to them. And this is the most tragic thing of all, I think, because because the church is the only place that has hope. It's the only place that has hope. I mean, Paul says that, that before you, you were without God and without hope. So one of the marks of being apart from Christ is hopelessness and the world is hopeless. There's no hope in life. There's no hope in death. The church is the only place with hope. And when the devil convinces people that the church is their enemy because of their sin, then he keeps them away from this lifeline of hope, which is really bad. And one of the ways he does it is by, is by redefining freedom. Okay. So here's this word that I made up. Uh, autodoulos, self-slavery. <laughs> so, and this is, the, uh, let me see what I wrote here. The church fathers also often speak of being coerced by our own desires and controlled by our own lusts. This is a self-slavery that looks and feels at first like freedom. Hmm. Now, now, this is an amazing thing to think about because we all have what we call concupiscence or lust or desires for sinful things. And the Bible says, don't follow those. Those are dangerous. The devil says, no, you're free to follow them. So that the way the devil presents freedom to us is following after our lusts. So that that's that's enslavement to our own desire. The devil presents us freedom. So it says you have to have freedom to love who you want to love. You have freedom to define your own identity. You have these freedoms to chase after what you desire with with out bringing any 
discernment or wisdom to your own desires. Sounds exactly go- like the temptation to Eve. Yeah, exactly. And so to so to question, do you imagine this? To question your own desires is the very thing that you are not allowed to do. I just, I wrote down some Bible passages. Just I'll I'll jot a few. James one fourteen. They're drawn away by their desires and enticed. Jesus in John eight thirty four. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. Proverbs five twenty two. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He's caught in the cords of his sin. Romans six sixteen. You are slaves of whom you obey. Either, right, uh, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Or Second Peter two nineteen. They are slaves of corruption by whom a person is overcome and is brought by him into bondage. Hmm. So that the Bible constantly presents living to do what you want as a form of enslavement, but the devil presents that to us as freedom. Hmm. So so we have this wild situation where the, the world, the secular world, is fighting for what it thinks is freedom, which is really it's fighting to stay in, in the prison of its own desires. So we come with a message of uh, emancipation, that we are no longer bound to sin. We are no longer bound to the flesh. It's a place where we probably this preaching has been weakened in the Lutheran Church because we speak so much of justification against the idea that sanctification and justification are the same. Uh, that we've lost this uh, Romans 6 preaching is that we are set free from the slavery to sin. It's a really, really profound truth in the scriptures. We are set free from it. And especially now in a culture which is like 100% given over to, to being enslaved by sin and, and thinking that that is freedom, we probably need to stand up and say, the Lord has freedom. Now, you know what that's called, though, now? Conversion therapy. Right. The idea that you don't have to be bound to your own desires is become illegal to mm-hmm. preach that. Mm-hmm. And it's the only hope that we have. We, I mean, for my only hope, not just, you know, this just for, for a sinner, I, because I want to do wrong things all the time. And the Holy Spirit now comes inside of me and he sets me free from that imprisonment even to myself and to my own lusts and desires. Hmm. Well, I, this, this um, perfectly goes to the distinction we started with, with between the kick the dog, comfort the child, because um, as, as we point out as a church the pitfalls and the downfalls of these various ways of thinking, um, you're right that it has, it has put in the minds of those who struggle with these, um, with these factors uh, to, to think that the church is against them, the church is uh, opposite of them, uh, when, when really this is the very thing that, that they need. Um, however, the the what what the, so so I guess what I'm trying to get at is that oftentimes what the what the church has put forward as help to someone who might be struggling is well you know uh, you know God loves you <laughs> which you know is true but that that doesn't actually engage the sin so that now I have to understand well where do these desires come from and and. It may be the case that I continue uh, 
that that the, that these desires still creep up and want to draw me away or to follow after them, but it's not the uh, the ridding myself of the desires that the Lord calls us to. It's the confession of those desires that the Lord calls us to, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, if if I'm struggling with a particular sin, whatever that sin may be, if if the Lord should remove that thorn from my flesh, then God be praised. Um, if I continue to have that reoccurring desire towards sin, then I. Uh, can make the distinction according to my new creation that that is not something that is pleasing to the Lord, and I can confess that desire as something that is uh, pulling me by the flesh, mm-hmm. and then God be praised, right? I mean that. It, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm trying to separate ourselves from is it's it's not as if um, it's a conformity to live a certain way that the Lord takes pleasure in it's the contrite heart that the lord takes pleasure in right that's right and and we should be very sympathetic it's that simpatico that that the bible says that jesus has with our own temptations so one of the dangers that we get is when someone is tempted to something that's very different than what we're tempted to like the hmm. b or the g or whatever the t and we're like ah poof. Now, there, there is a sanctified sense of repugnance that should be helpful to us, but, but, but there's also, I think, overriding that should be sympathy in the sense that, hey, your flesh wants to do things that against life and God. My flesh does too. Mm. And it might be different. Like, your temptation might look different than my temptation, but it's all the same. And so I know the struggle too, but it's the struggle is the... The, the struggle is the... Um, is the is where the hope is found you know that I, I that I'm not I'm not conceding to this imprisonment of my fleshly desires do you see that that uh the, the, it's an amazing thing to see here in the T question in the transgender question people say I'm tra- I feel trapped in my body hmm. do, you, do you do you hear that so it's like an ensla- the idea the, the the image is already there the image of enslavement but the enslavement is coming not from your body it's coming from it's coming from the corrupt heart, and that's where that's always trying to enslave us. And the freedom comes not in in giving up the fight against the flesh, against the lust, against the false desires, the anti-life desires that we have, but freedom comes rather in taking up the fight with the Lord, yeah. and 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 our hope in the resurrection, which is coming soon. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, um, we have about a uh, thirty seconds left. Any any final thoughts? I should make that the buzzword today. Uh, what do you think about that word? Autodulos, self slavery. I think if we could bring that into our conversation, that might be a helpful uh, thing. What do you? You're just you wanting listening? to to invent words. You're you're hoping that's going to land in the dictionary sometime. I don't think it will. Maybe it'll start trending. The Table Talk Radio, the Table Talk Radio lexicon. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, well our hope is in the eschaton, <laughs> which is where our vile bodies are transformed to be like unto his glorious body, and that is coming soon. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in to this edition of Table Talk Radio. 
Where the points are like. Where the points are like <laughs> your good works on Judgment Day. Nice. Thanks well, for thank listening you. to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult Once your pastor while, before listening range. to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.